It has never been easier to start a new business that reaches millions of customers. And now people are creating amazing startups outside of Silicon Valley. But starting a company doesn't equal success. In this podcast, we dive into how founders across the southeastern United States are succeeding, why they fail, and everything in between. Welcome to Startup Pivot Scale. The entrepreneurial mindset. We One of the first times we encountered this topic was when a corporate employee for the Yellow Pages did a talk on how he brings an entrepreneurial mindset to his job. He described this mindset as, quote, taking time to think, thinking outside the box, learning new skills, and trying to bring new ideas to the table. But hold on, stop nodding your head in agreement. Isn't this just being a great employee? Isn't this just what everyone is supposed to be doing at baseline? Has corporate America really fallen so far that having an entrepreneurial mindset just means doing your job well? You know, one of our favorite examples on this topic is the Entrepreneurial Mindset Network Organization. They actually coined mindset at an acronym. It stands for meet real needs, innovate, never act unethically, dare to take risks, sell, exercise for productivity, and take the initiative. Clearly, someone with a nine-to-five job came up with this. And once again, does this truly represent the entrepreneurs you know? We seriously doubt it. The entrepreneur mindset does not exist. Being an entrepreneur is a noun, not an action. It's a lifestyle, something you live and breathe every day. You can't escape it if you quit you will find yourself crawling back to life. It's who you are. It's what you do. It's how you think. This is only developed by being on your own, failing, succeeding, building a team, losing your team, and trying and trying again until you finally reach some success, only to start it all over again. This is what makes entrepreneurs unique. So are you an entrepreneur or do you just have an entrepreneur mindset? So can you teach entrepreneurship? No, you definitely cannot. Wait, hold up a second. Aren't you teaching an entrepreneurship class right now? Yeah, David, what's that about? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can teach a class. That doesn't mean you can actually learn entrepreneurship, right? Like, (laughs) What What about my hashtags, man? Hashtag hustle, hashtag grind, (laughs) tech life. (laughs) Um, I I think I'm I'm teaching a class because I, I think you can teach parts of it. There's, there is a process you can go through to learn entrepreneurship from a high level, but I, I still think it's something that you can grasp some concepts, but you, it's one of those things you actually have to experience. You have to live that life to actually learn it. So we can kind of set you up for mm-hmm. success, but you still got to go out and do it. You can't just sit there and read a book and just be like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I know everything I need to know. I'm going to be the next Jeff Bezos. And it doesn't work that way. You have to actually have experience. You got to get um, beat so- up. Yeah, and up and down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you guys. In the entrepreneurship world, there's a term called wantrepreneur. And for a lot of our listeners, they might not know what that is. So can you explain the difference between an entrepreneur and a wantrepreneur? 
Yeah. So to me, a entrepreneur is someone who probably has a nine to five job and I'll talk to them about some things and they'll be like, yeah, I have this idea for my business or I have this really cool idea I want to work on, but I think I want to, you know, stay in my job for a couple more years, get a little bit more experience and then start out and do my own business or pursue this or that. Whereas I feel like an entrepreneur, someone who really has you know, an idea and something that they're super passionate about, they're going to go ahead and start working on it. They're going to find a way if they have a nine to five right now, they're probably already working on it on the side and just waiting for the right opportunity to commit to it, maybe full time or something. But they're they're working on it and making progress on whatever new innovation or thing that they have in mind. Yeah, I, I think if you go and spend some time in San Francisco, uh, not even Silicon Valley, just actual San Francisco and walk around. And I think you can just point out to random people and say, hey, what's your startup? And they'll be like, oh, I've got these proprietary algorithms with such and such and such. that They'll have like spew something out, but they really have no intention of really doing it. It's almost like a cultural thing at times that if you have to be, be cool, you have to have a startup in some places. And if you have a lot of entrepreneurial friends, it, it, you'll notice they tend, other people have entrepreneurial ideas. And But the other side of this is that the entrepreneur piece is also used negatively in ways I think it shouldn't. If you have companies that are struggling or a person's failing, there it, it kind of leads to almost imposter syndrome where people think like, oh, am I not am I an entrepreneur? Am I an actual entrepreneur? Nothing's really working. And I, and I think it can be the kind of this downer piece. And I've seen people in ecosystems start saying, well, you know, we really need to focus on these people or that person's just an, a entrepreneur. They're never really going to you know, ever do anything. And it's easy for people to use that to write people off. But at the end of the day, I think that word has to be used carefully because just because it's not working today doesn't mean you won't surprise everyone tomorrow. And I also think that that challenging of, oh, it's not, you know, they're really not cutting it. They're not making it can also get startups to double down on startups. They may should, they might need to let go and do something else instead, but they feel that need to like to prove them wrong. So they keep going. And so I, I think it's a weird term that it just, in a lot of ways, shouldn't be used. You're either an entrepreneur or you're not. I like to say you're an entrepreneur, you're a nine to fiver. That's really my put, my put down is like, oh, <laughs> the guy's so corporate. Uh, he works nine to five and spends time with his family. <laughs> What's wrong with him? <laughs> I see entrepreneur and the difference between entrepreneur again. As an entrepreneur, I don't care if you're being successful or not. If you are actually working on your business, your idea, pushing it forward, you're an entrepreneur and part of entrepreneurship is that failure um, and that beat up that process. Whereas on the entrepreneur side, you can do things that are playing business, saying you have an idea, getting the business cards, but never actually putting your idea in motion, getting the MVP, getting that initial set of feedback, getting your validation, um, getting your first customers. Bringing a team on board. Yeah. For me, if you're saying, yeah, I have an idea, but I haven't pulled the trigger, that's where you are on the entrepreneur. It's, yes, yeah, as David said, you're an entrepreneur and you're not. And that's the dividing line I have for what's an entrepreneur and what's a entrepreneur. And that term has proliferated the tech, the entrepreneur world. I have seen it used less though in the last year or two, but for a while there, it was a really big word, especially in terms of like, how do you, how, how do you be an entrepreneur? And I guess a lot of things tie to that. 
So what are like, it was for kind instance, of the next word, like uh, yeah, pivot. And then uh, entrepreneur was kind of that next fad word. I think I kind of didn't realize it till now. That was definitely the big <laughs> word for a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's a part of the entrepreneur lifestyle. You got to know all the fad words. Do so. <laughs> you like a urban dictionary for just like entrepreneur buzzwords and fad words or oh, something? There has to be a <laughs> there, there probably is one. <laughs> I'm Googling this right now. <laughs> New business idea, guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> man, if I, if I made a startup dictionary app or something and that's how I got successful, I would like it. But man, I'd be so frustrated too. <laughs> you know, that's how it always crazy works. Crazy ideas. <laughs> I think that'd be a pretty cool app, actually. <laughs> if it's not out there, we should work on it. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I always laugh because when I was first starting out in entrepreneurship, you know, we'd landed Captain Morgan. Spice Realm for our first client. We had all this great stuff. We're building this crazy game and then this mobile app uh, that cut your face out and you know put you in like, a picture with that. It was all pre-iPhone, right? So that's, this was really hard. And then right after that, my friend creates a uh, mobile app for the iPhone when, as the app store first came out. It was like the battery app and it just told you how many, you know, like what percent of your power was left, how much time you had to talk and all that stuff. And he sold it for like $1.99. And they had like 700,000 downloads and purchases. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I just spent a year of my life awesome. dealing with Captain Morgan and all this other stuff. And this guy just made like, you know, seven times the amount of money that we made <laughs> six times. I mean, it was just insane. Like, man, we missed the boat. We were always thinking too big. In the yeah. early days, you so, didn't create the pet rock. The, part, the pet rock equivalent of an app was what, how you made money. You didn't make it being complex. Nowadays, you have to be complex. I think that's something that sometimes prevents people from just jumping into entrepreneurship. They always have, to, they kind of have that mindset where they think that they need to create a life-changing, a world-changing idea or innovation or something to for it to be worth it for them to pursue as an entrepreneur. But sometimes it's just like, some of these simple ideas and things that just make your life a little bit easier that can end up making a big difference down the line, I guess, you know, it doesn't have to be so huge and game changing for it to well, be was, something to work on. Well, I was thinking well, back to the whole mindset. I do think there is a mindset you have to have to be an entrepreneur. And that is you have to be ready to accept failure and learn from it. I think one of the big issues people have jumping into entrepreneurship is that fear of failure. And if you don't have that mindset mindset that, hey, this can fail and I'll be okay with that. I just need to learn and either do something else or find out what's wrong, fix it and continue on is I think if you're going to say an entrepreneur mindset, I do think that is a component of the lifestyle, I'm gonna call it a lifestyle. It's not a mindset. It's you're an entrepreneur. It's your life um, that you have to have that you're willing to accept failing, um, learn it from it and then adapt and move on. You have to be flexible and open-minded, relentless. You gotta like every plan you make, I think you should take some time to think about what is plan B, plan C, plan whatever, because plan A may not work and you have to, you know, have that foresight. If this is going to fail, where are the different ways it could fail and how do I overcome it? You know, when I try to approach this problem again, and you always have these backup plans. I think there's people that say like, 
don't have a backup plan and you, you're going to make it, you know, if you have a backup plan, then you're, you're going to accept failure and, you know, that sort of line of thought. But I think this is a little bit different. It's like, as an example, you know, we feel really good and confident that the device that we make is special, unique, and something that's going to work. And I don't think we're going to accept that the device is going to fail, but um, there might be these, the path getting there, you know, there's a lot of things we have to do, a lot of partnerships we have to form, and there might be little places here and there where plan A necessarily doesn't always work out. And we have to think, what is, how are we going to approach this problem or that problem if plan A doesn't work out, out towards that bigger end goal? Yeah, I think the, uh, <laughs> when you say that, there's a couple of things came to mind. Uh, first of all, Reed Hoffman's very famous for saying you have plan A and plans B. And I always kind of laughed at that because no startup wants to have plan C, D, and E. It's always it's always plan B, no matter what happens. Yeah. Plan A didn't work. Plan D didn't B didn't work. Plan B two didn't work. Plan B three didn't work. <laughs> Nobody I wants can to see that. that it's just I always laughed at that. But I also would argue that you need to really be focused on how do you validate whether something's gonna be successful or not at an early stage. I think a good example of that was with Brewfun. And we got caught up in the gifting side of things and it was exciting. Everybody loved it. We're hearing, you know, crazy things like this changed my life. This saved us friendship. I mean, all you did is give a beer to somebody, but there were some really interesting social pieces to it that we, you know, had, had hoped for, but it really came a lot stronger than we thought, but we weren't going to make any money with it. And I remember kind of having just this moment of, yeah, we should really map it out. And my wife sat down and we just did a little spreadsheet on it. And I was like, yeah we're screwed. We cannot keep going down this path. And I come back in the office the next morning and tell, you know, my co-founder Travis and be like, Hey, if we keep doing this, we're not going to make any money. Like we're not going to have a, I mean, if you only were charging a dollar per transaction, which can be good if you have lots of people, but the scaling that was very difficult. And we kind of had that idea early on that we needed to do more, but we were so caught up in this. It was really difficult for us to get out of that mindset of doing that. But because we had that thought early on and we started saying, okay, how are we going to prove if this is going to work? We were able to then say, all right, we got to get ourselves unhooked from this, you know, addiction of everyone loving what we're doing, but it's just not, it's just not scalable at this time to figure out how else can this make money. And that really, you know, put us down a path to, to potential success. Now we haven't gotten there. We haven't achieved success yet. Um, there's still a lot of unknowns for it, but there was no chance for success if we would just put our heads down and just did the same thing over and over again. Looked at the startup dictionary, and I and? found, I think it's, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but it's Exlanchopedia by Funding Sage was what came up. So Funding Sage oh, really? is an entrepreneur's starter dictionary for startups. <laughs> so you can go to FundingSage.com. It's our friends over at the uh, Angel Roundtable in Johnson City, Tennessee. And they've got a whole, like some of the members of it, I don't think it's the round table itself, but they launched this website for startups. And, and now they're going to get this massive boost of people going to FundingSafe.com, I'm sure. But, <laughs> is there a, a buzzwords category and a fads category? I'm disappointed. It's actual, I mean, they are investors, mindset of people, so they don't joke. I've yet to meet a lot of investors. I have a sense of humor. Haha, I'm joking with you. I know you don't understand it, but I am joking with you. <laughs> but it is... Um, they do have some really interesting articles up on it and they've gone to be more of a, I guess, an information warehouse than a kind of investment tool. So they have like the seven signs of a failing company. Are you investable? And then they don't have funny words, which I really think they should have that, but they have a list, a massive list of all of the words people say. 
Uh, speaking of that, I do think we needed to keep up on our lingo as an entrepreneur. You just can't walk into a tech conference and not know the lingo. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. For those of you who are non-technical, just... Java and JavaScript are not related. <laughs> I mean, or related. you just like go into a tech conference <laughs> and just keep making up new and new words. And then everyone else uh, is going to feel left out. And I'm like, wow, yeah, this guy's just way ahead of the game here. I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so make a website that it looks like a SaaS product or something. And, but when, it, when you go to the site, it says like the SaaS product makes it look right. But when you read the little tagline, it's something like the startup or the, the product that no one needs, but everybody wants to say they, <laughs> they have and just see if you could spread it around. So as people saw it, they're like, Oh yeah, we should just be using the SaaS to SaaS 22.0. <laughs> I mean, I really found this we'd all just have like seed it into the crowd and see how as people figure out what it is and they keep it going conferences i have a question for you guys like, like G. do you have anyway. to be involved in your local entrepreneurship community to be an entrepreneur hmm. i'm curious I've... what you guys think about this because you know i do run a entrepreneur one of the people running an entrepreneurship community along with you guys but i want to hear what you say yeah. first because i want to judge you <laughs> well, i think it kind of I think it kind of happens naturally, at least it has for us. Um, like when you're doing the startup and when, you know, when we were first forming the company and stuff and we were asking for help, we would get introduced to mentors who would introduce us to maybe other startups at that time. Um, and then we end up just beating each other, talking with each other, becoming a support group for one another. And it kind of happened that this was, this happened for us in Atlanta. This happened for us in Dallas. And then when we, when I moved back here, it started happening here too. I mean, I started speaking with some people in the area and they were like, hey, have you met this person who was Edwin? And they were like, Edwin's an entrepreneur in the area. And I was like, what? I didn't know there were other entrepreneurs in this area. <laughs> I didn't know there was startups in this area. And so I was like, no, I haven't, but I would love to meet him. And then met with Edwin. Edwin introduced me to David and then it just happened. We got connected into this network and ended up doing a lot with it. And seven years later, we had a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not nine years. <laughs> so it only takes yeah. seven years to form a podcast. To be an entrepreneur, you don't have to have a community, but I do feel that entrepreneurs gravitate towards each other naturally to form communities um, because it's part of who we are as entrepreneurs because we're always like trying to tell people about our idea. Then when we meet people and they're like, hey, they're like us, let's go get a beer. And then from that, new ideas pop up and more people join. And next thing you know, you have community and it makes it a whole lot easier too in terms of doing things. And you don't even have to be in the same industry. Like we're not in the same industry, but there's so there's still so much we can connect on and relate to each other with. And it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. crazy. I don't think we've met anyone else who's doing a class three medical device, but we've had the most fun meeting with and hanging out with other entrepreneurs in all sorts of industries. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that you have some, really the answer to that question, I think it depends on where you are. If you're out West or you're in one of these major entrepreneurship hubs, there is a chance that you could get too distracted and all you're doing is going to events and talking to people and it, it can be a distraction. 
and kind of what Edwin said is that you have these moments where you just run into other entrepreneurs and there's like this gravitational pull. And I think if there is a, a really good sign of if you're an entrepreneur or you're a entrepreneur, it really is that you just randomly somehow seem to find other entrepreneurs. If that's happening, you're probably an entrepreneur, really. Just because it's a personality thing, it's a lifestyle thing. It's something that just attracts other people like, you know, to have that same drive that you do. You're very different. I mean, we're all very different from each other, but we have this kind of magnetic pull towards learning from each other and discussing things. But Northeast Tennessee, I think it's actually 100% just critical that everyone gets involved in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Not just because we do the ecosystem either. The reason behind it is that when you're in San Francisco, Boulder, and these other places, the resources that are available to you are they're just everywhere. There's a huge hiring pool. There's all these other advantages at those times. You know, there's all these other disadvantages too, but from the entrepreneur side, there are distinct advantages that will help you grow and scale and succeed in your business. It's mm -hmm. not the make it or break it piece, but it is, it is a huge factor. And so if you want to start a business here and you want to be successful, you want to grow it, especially in the software space, you need to be involved and be networking with other people to extend that reach and that network that you have. You also need to be working to help grow the ecosystem together because as that grows, new opportunities come. Right now, we, we've gone from, I mean, I would argue there were, when we all met each other, I, we thought, I mean, I thought we were the only three entrepreneurs. You know, we met, you know, you know Ben with Connect Outdoors and you know, all these other individuals that kind of started popping up a little bit. And at one point, I thought we had like 15 to 20. Recently, like there's more, but I know there's, we, we know of 66 active entrepreneurs, like startup, high growth startup entrepreneurs in there. That's awesome. 66. That's, That's pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. That's a pretty good group. And now that we have 66, we're seeing greater support for the ecosystem. Uh, we're having yeah. talks with entrepreneurs. We've connected people to investors already uh, that may be raising rounds. We have um, you know, high net worth individuals getting involved and being very curious. And, and that didn't happen when we thought there was only three or 10 of us. Mm -hmm. As more people come and be a part of it, the opportunities grow, the resources grow. We're able to share and support each other. The knowledge transfer happens. And if people don't get involved here, and even when you hire your next employee, it's going to be 10 times harder to bring them here because they're not going to be, mm -hmm. to be able to come be a part of this ecosystem. And so I think it's critical. It's, it's not just something you do as an entrepreneur. As a startup here, you need to be actively participating in it as if it's part of your company. Yeah. That's my soapbox. I think that's really that. well said. No, I think that was well said. Like, preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had people ask me, why, why am I doing... Um, Founders Forward, when it is, isn't that just a distraction for my business? And I would say, yes, it is a distraction. But I also argue that it is part of my business because if this, it'll be very hard to succeed without a supporting network growing with us. Yeah, mm -hmm. it will be. It force, you know, I hate to say it, but it may force us out of the area if something like this doesn't work out, you know, because yeah. we, for the better, we, I mean, for the best for our businesses, we kind of have to go where um, the business is going to do well, I guess. And if if you don't have any support from the area, which hasn't been the case for us here, but um, I mean, would you stay in that area? Like if, if this place didn't wasn't as responsive and no one did anything, I mean, no matter how beautiful or wonderful this area is, but if what you want to do, what's going to end up supporting you, your lifestyle, all that, 
you don't have any support here, would you stay? That's a hard question. I think I think I've already kind of made my choice for being here. I think there's some, for me personally, there's some things that I want out of life that I think I can only find in a place like this. I think that my big mission is to prove people wrong that it can't be done in the southeast. But I don't yeah. really feel like I have a choice to leave personally. And I'm not, and I don't. I totally get what you're saying. I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm the one that's going to stay no matter what. That also may mean I, I will never be successful in this. I, that's the reality of this. I get why people leave though. I do get it why they go, you know what, I, I don't have what I need. Um, there was a group out of uh, Bellhops out of, or Bellhop, I think now, whatever they change their name to. I don't like, uh, and, I, and everybody says Uber for everything, but they are kind of like the Uber for moving where you have people come in and they pack, up all your, they pack all your stuff up, um, last mile delivery truck, loads everything up, drives it to your other site and another crew shows up and unloads you. That's their business model out of Chattanooga. And they've gone national and they're a pretty cool company. But just talking to some of their founders at a program I was at, they were talking about hiring and how difficult it is. And they've, you know, they got a, they have a boat for the river. They get everybody out of like a party barge. They all go out and hang out with, with the new hires. They treat them like king, get them all excited. So it's this great, wonderful you know, time. Then after they say yes, I'm assuming they take those new engineers and lock them in a cage so they can't leave. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I mean, Chad is a beautiful place too, but it is a, like having to go to such lengths just to attract talent is difficult. And, you know, they're right. talking about the type of talent. It's not just somebody right out of college from out West that wants to move to Chattanooga. They need to find people that are family oriented, wanting to you know, put some roots down, have better cost of living. They have all these, all these little niche things that come into play to, to attract somebody. Or if you're in Boulder, you say, I've got a software engineering job and you have a whole bunch of people apply. Or you just start trying to steal employees from other companies like everyone does in uh, Silicon Valley area. You brought up cost of living, and I have thoughts on that. I know a lot of areas, they kind of market themselves where it's like, you know, come stay here, come move here because the cost of living is better. But, you know, for a startup. I hate that, so much. I hate that idea. I hate when I do that. <laughs> yeah, because like, you know, I, I've, I've been told that here in this area. And it's like, well, that may be true. But if a VC or a big company or somebody from a larger city or area is going to invest more money in the company and want me to relocate, then it doesn't really matter what the cost of living is because at least I'll have the money to pay for it. And even if the cost of living is inexpensive in this area and I'm not able to raise any funds or get any support from the area, then why does it matter? Because I, I wouldn't be able to afford it anyways. And then also the more, the better your, I, I don't think cost of living is all like, I feel like the more successful, and this may be, you know, my lack of experience or knowledge in this, but the more successful an area is in recruiting businesses and people and this and that, the larger the area grows, your cost of living is going to go up. And I don't think that can always stay a marketing point for recruiting people here. There has to be much more than just saying this is a good place to live because of the cost of living. You know who has great cost of living? Like phenomenal cost of living, the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And I'm sorry, people from Kansas. I know you're going to complain, but if you're in the middle of Kansas, you can get a shack on a property of land or a piece of land and you pay very, very cheaply. If you go to the middle of Alaska, they will pay you to go there. It's like getting paid to live in Alaska and do your startup. So we should all just move to Alaska because New Zealand was still living that. is so wonderful. <laughs> like, right. the, the idea of advertising the cost of living bothers me so much to my core because it's like saying, hey, you know, we're the cheapest place out there in the world. Like, and when have we ever gone out and bought something and thought, oh man, 
I want to go buy the crappiest or sorry, the cheapest version. Cause we assume it's the crappiest. No, nobody goes, ah, oh, I want to find the cheapest car. Now you might say, ah, oh, I have to get the cheapest car, but nobody wants it. Nobody's like, ah, oh, I really want this piece of junk because it's so cheap. That just doesn't, that's the worst way to market. What, what our area needs to do. And I think they're doing a better job of it. I'd like to claim because I keep going on these rants. I well, you probably know it, but nobody ever listens to me. But the the reality of it is, is the quality of life. And that's something you can actually sell. And that's very different than you know, cheap cost living. of living. Yeah. Like we can I can jump on my mountain bike and go right into a mountain bike park in downtown Johnson City. I can go out to Kingsport and I can walk around all over the downtown. Buffalo Mountains right here. There's uh, three hundred waterfalls within or sorry, hundred waterfalls within three hours. There's the AT comes through here. There's all these other kind of outdoor type of life set, lifestyle things. We've got great breweries. We're right by Asheville, North Carolina. There's all these really cool things all around us too that you can, yes, you can afford to live here. Your money goes farther. Sure, that's great. But what you can actually do here, the quality of life you can lead is way better than the middle of Kansas. It's way better than, in my opinion, than Alaska. And I think that's the selling point of why people are, are moving here in troves right now. I mean, it is really interesting how many people are coming here. But, but also marketing that. for an entrepreneur, you know, you want to be able to show like what are all the different resources you have available to you if you moved here and decided to relocate your business here. And also maybe prove for something that, you know, this is how we've been able to help people in the past. So you should, you, you know, you can trust us. You can believe in us to be able to help you too. You know, you want to be able to prove some of that too, because that that's what's going to be really important to someone who's starting out a business is how how can I get the help I need here, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually argue that that yes, you're right, but we almost need to be advertising that now at an early stage before it's this wide, 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 huge success. If you go to Atlanta Tech Village right now, phenomenal facility, great developments, great programs, great people. If you go walk in there, you're one of many startups. If you go to Boulder. Yeah. And I, you know, we were there, you're one of many, many startups. You walk into a room uh, for their, I forget what it was, like the launch boulder meeting or one of those other coffee club or what, I forget what it was. We went to the legal and the law school. You go in there and there's a, they fill the entire lecture hall, like 250 people. And afterwards, you're all in these hallways talking. And it's cool. It's really fun to be a part of it. There's opportunities and things that can happen, but it's like a, you're, at, you're one person in the middle of a conference. When you're an entrepreneur here, I guarantee in a very short period of time, you're probably going to meet the mayor. You're going to meet the commissioners. You're going to meet the chamber of commerce. <laughs> you're going to meet all the economic development people. They're going to say things like, oh, we need more, we need more young professionals like you. We really need more startups like you. Sometimes they're not even sure how to help you, but they want to help. And as opportunities come you know, to you, open up and you need access to something, you're not having to wait in line. You're not having to do that. You actually just pick up the phone and call somebody. And while that de- support is growing, it's not perfect yet. You can actually be a, as a early stage founder, you can actually get the support that I think you need early on. Now, do our resources need to prove? Do we need to have more you know, investment? Do we need all these things? Yes, that's all gonna grow with time. But I think if we continue the path we're on, I think we're gonna become a, a cool destination for startups to be at if they fit into the quality of life that this place can offer. It won't be perfect for everyone. But by the time all of that's in place, it's almost too late. You're like, you're just gonna be another startup, which is exciting. We're gonna help everyone we can. And I'd argue getting in now is the perfect time to actually be here. And this is my sales pitch. So you're saying, like, get it at the ground floor. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to go what huge. Really is, all the cool kids are doing it and are moving here. And if, if you wanna be in Johnson City before it was cool, and that way when you're you know in your 50s or 60s going, ah, oh, I remember when 
remember when Johnson City was cool. I got my 150 shirt. (laughs) To answer your question, Edwin, yes, get involved in your entrepreneurship community, especially in Johnson City, Tennessee. The entire region. It doesn't have to just be Johnson City. You live where you want to live. I hate to tell, I hate to break this to everyone here, but the entire Appalachian Highland region, it's not that far from each other. When you're in traffic out west and it takes 30 minutes to go to the grocery store, I know. You realize that this is a pretty wonderful place. Yes, and attend a meeting within thirty minutes. Forty-five minutes to work in, uh, from where I was staying to Tech Village in Atlanta and back. And that Here was just like... walking down the street. <laughs> yeah. I know. Perspectives change. It's like you come back, but like it's always funny. It's like I come back from Atlanta, and within like three weeks, I'm like, man, that's fifteen minutes away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but speaking of quality of life i do have another question for you guys we see all these magazines showing great quality of life like entrepreneur inc magazine forbes mm-hmm. how do you navigate all this information you know like you see these magazines you see the people on the cover you see them living their lives is it good information or is it all worthless i feel like that is something that we are i don't know if fighting is the right word or trying to offer a more realistic perspective too because i feel like people see these magazines and they see all these glamour stories of these entrepreneurs and making it and doing all these great and big things and that makes them become a entrepreneur and that uh, makes them say like oh i want to do this too or i want to do that because entrepreneurship is cool it's that i can i can be featured in these magazines one day but it's not that easy yeah, I, I actually call that entrepreneur porn. It, it's, it's pornography. It is. It, it's if you think about it, it's painting this perfect, you know, amazing lifestyle and all this other stuff and all these success stories. It gets you all excited, but it doesn't. It never actually delivers anything of substance or any actionable information, and so it just leaves you hanging. So you get all riled up with your entrepreneurship mindset. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did your quotes. So I don't know why because I'm on podcast, but <laughs> get in your entrepreneurship mindset. And then you go, well, I, I don't know what to do next because all right. I did is read Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, Funded, SAS Magazine. Uh, or, I don't know, any of the thousands of the stupid things. It gives you unrealistic expectations. I mean, it, it makes you seem, it makes it seem like, okay, I'm going to start this. And then in like three or four months, maybe six months, I'll be able to raise a Series A of $5 million and my business is going to be on the way. Or I'm going to have yeah. a bunch of customers and that's, they yeah. did it so I can do it. But, <laughs> Please tell the real story. Go, I don't want to go too much into it because we could get into the investor side of things, but the startup pipe today was just, I think it was just announced today that they raised, they raised additionally. So they basically raised $6 million a year ago. They raised 50 million. That was a $6 million seed round. Then they raised $50 million in capital this year. And then a few weeks later, they raised an additional unknown round at a $2 billion valuation. And that's the stuff they cover. Like that's the stuff they're saying, oh, look at this. Look at this startup. They raised, you know, at a $2 billion valuation. And it's like these weird, crazy stories that they, they get clicks. They get people to, you know, read them. But it's just insanity. Like no, no one even stops in these magazines and these other articles to say, does this make any sense? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is the magazine I will read. When they come up and say, look at this amazing company that raised all this money. They're this unicorn farming company. And then, you know, the subheading is, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That is magazine I will buy. I have a quick question. Page. Another business opportunity. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> is unicorn, have you trademarked that word unicorn farm? 
or is <laughs> no, I think that's is that on for... uh, Funding Sage's website? <laughs> I, I think I actually think that's the word there that's been used for uh, companies that go out and they raise uh, money and they use that they use almost all that money to attract a well-known investor, and then that investor's sole job is to go out and raise additional money. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that keeps going. And that's like, well, that's basically what Uber did. That's what Pipe is doing. That's what some, not all of them, but some of these really big companies that are just, all they're doing is raising money to become a unicorn as fast as possible. And I don't know if it's a race to go IPO so everybody cashes out. I, I really don't get the mindset of it because at the end of the day, all it's like Silicon Valley can never learn. All they're doing is raising money on top of raising money instead of actually working on a product and building something that's very uh, substantive and is solving a real problem. And all that's going to happen is there's going to be this, they're all going to fail. Luckily, they're not really, a lot of these companies aren't really putting out a lot of value. So it's not like a lot of people are using all these products or not all this money's, you know, deal flowing like crazy. Some are, but not all. And so when some of these unicorn farms basically completely collapse, the investors are going to take a hit and then they're all going to be like, you know, they're, it's just kind of like when all the investors in the uh, social media world were all saying, you know, don't you just gotta worry on traction? Just focus on traction. You don't need yeah, a business I remember model. That. Look at Facebook. Look at LinkedIn. Look at all these others. Like, worry about revenue all later. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, they, all, they there's this big investor crash, and they're all sitting there going, "Oh man, you have to have a business model." We all know you have to have a business model. Like you guys are the idiots that did this. You got us to this point. And I just think the same thing's gonna happen where they're gonna be like, "Well, you know, got you got to be careful, careful of the unicorn farmers." Like those same people that are just <laughs> buying in over and over again and making this happen. It's just, there's so much insanity in that space. I just, I cannot wait till our investment discussion coming up very soon because I mean, that's going to be a two hour episode. We, we may have to break that into two parts. <laughs> it is going to be very interesting to discuss all the different craziness happening in it. Unicorn Farmers also sounds like an iOS game or something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's our startup idea. Unicorn Farmer. We get the kids, we get the startups, and we get the investors. Because investors just think, and we'll add some crypto words to it, and then people invest in it. It has to be built on, it. wait, wait, I got it, I got it. Unicorn Farming, new app, mobile app game for kids on iOS, built off the Ethereum blockchain and with NFT tokens for transfer of funds between... <laughs> players <laughs> yeah. tokens allow, uh, the kids to sell their unicorn uh hatching hatchlings they farm, yeah. farm and grow <laughs> so guys i Might think go. we're running yeah. on running up on time here but what would you say like you know thinking about this entrepreneur lifestyle and quote-unquote mindset what do you think are some really important qualities for entrepreneurs to have you have to be optimistic going into this you can't be pessimistic and be an entrepreneur. You have to be optimistic. You have to have grit. Be willing to, because you're going to get beat up in this lifestyle. And I, again, not a mindset, but it's a way of life. And optimism, grit. And the last one would be, don't be afraid to fail. That fear, or that fear response, probably is the number one killer of ideas in entrepreneurship is I was afraid to try this and you didn't pull the trigger. So it never got started to begin with. I would would actually argue that you can be pessimistic. I think sometimes I'm pessimistic and that helps me, but I think that kind of that me pushing back on that just shows that you, you gotta be who you are. It's really easy to sit there and try to be an entrepreneur, try to be something that you're not. And you really got to own your own, who you are, own your strengths, figure out your weaknesses and use that to your advantage. But above all, I think you really have to have drive. You just got to be 
so excited about solving a problem that you're not worried about being an entrepreneur. You're worried about solving that problem and building something that does that. And the last part of it, I, there's a um, concept from Toyota. This was in the Lean Startup uh, book by Eric Reese. And it's, I'm going to say it wrong, I'm sure, but it's a Japanese saying, uh, Jinchi, Jinbutsu, I think. Maybe I said that right. We'll see. But all it really comes down to is go see for yourself. And there's a great story mm-hmm. about the uh, Toyota Sienna and how they went and built it and drove this van all around. But really, at the end of the day, it's all about getting out of the office, getting out of the lab, getting out from behind the computer and going out and seeing what you think is true. As we're working on our startup boot camp right now, we have phenomenal startups for our first uh, inaugural boot camp. And the common theme I keep seeing with them and past startups and other startups, and I, I did this myself too, is that too often you sit there and think you know, and you have an idea and you think your idea is the solution, like you would joke about plan A and plans B, but it's really all it comes down to is are you willing to go out and live a life and live your life and live, sorry, live the life of your customer and understand what it, the problem and the pains they're having so you can truly understand it and get the domain expertise from them to then solve that problem. Yeah, it's, and none of nothing that's, I've talked about is wearing yeah. a power vest. And I'm not talking about using the word pivot. I'm talking about <laughs> the problem, talking to customers, and being I so think, driven that nothing's going to stop. Yeah. I think that's super important. Being able to put yourself in everyone's shoes—that's kind of like around what you're trying to do. You know, whether that's your investor, your business partners, oh, your sorry. customer. I, I so or, thought you were going to say yeah. it's so important. It's so important to wear your vest. I, I really thought. That <laughs> <important>. <laughs> No, I was gonna Put say, yourself in everyone's yeah. vest. They, they go see for yourself is really important. Like with Zen Hammer right now, we've gotten it into like quite a few users and gotten some good feedback. And one of the big things is like when we designed the user interface and how the app works, we had our assumptions of X, Y, Z. And now we're sitting here like, well, we've really got to redesign like one third of this UI because one, people aren't using it like we thought it, they would. And two, we can't deliver information the way they need it delivered as an entrepreneur i going out to your customer that's i actually that should be the number one thing going out to your customer be, be willing to go out to your customer and watch them use your your product talk to them and yeah i get that feedback and then after yeah. i cut you off and you know, derail this but <laughs> no it's fine can you oh. talk about going to your customers and asking them about their afib problems yeah, we do. Um, we've spoken <laughs> to patients. You know, how, how do they feel about AFib? We speak a lot to the doctors, of course, continuously getting feedback from the doctors because they're the ones who are going to be using it. Um, so we want to make sure that it's something that they're comfortable using, something that's going to be easy for them to use and really think about, like, what situation are they in in this hospital, in this operating room when they're using the device? What is going on around them, you know, and what are the million other things they have to focus on while using this device and how can we make it better for them? But also the patient, you know, thinking about, you know, if this device is going to go in me one day, how do I want it to feel in, in me or um, after the procedure, how do I want to feel and all that sort of stuff. And so I think it's super important to have a successful product to be able to put yourself in all these people's shoes, but everything you guys said, you know, being persistent and relentless and just, going out there and following your passion and getting it done by any means necessary. And that, I don't think that that doesn't mean like be closed minded. And it's like, this is the way it has to be because this is what I want it to be. But 
you know, you understand what the problem is and you want to create a solution. And that's what's important is creating the best solution, whatever that might end up being. It may not be your initial initial vision, but I think it's important to keep an open, open mind and always be willing to learn new things or accept different ways of maybe making this vision a reality. Don't let failure stop you and everything else that you guys said. I think it's just it's super important to have a real entrepreneurial mindset. <laughs> <laughs> just the word entrepreneurial mindset makes my skin crawl a little. I, just, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it would. That's why I said years. it. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so when one of us gets in Drake Magazine, we will say we have mastered the entrepreneur mindset. No, I, hope not. I hope you. Hope <laughs> anti Inc. Magazine. <laughs> have we not discussed anything here today, Edwin? <laughs> well i hope our listeners now feel like they have the entrepreneurial mindset and <laughs> go out there and make something special happen the mindset. <laughs> or realize it Arnab, i'm going to tell you one thing here it's very important this is some user feedback if i ever need your medical device inside me I just want to let you know that I don't want to feel it inside me. I'm just going to. You probably won't. I, I, don't know. Feel it. I, I probably won't. You won't <laughs> feel it. I feel it move. <laughs> I know you guys are doing awesome work. So it's, uh, it's exciting <laughs> to see that grow and continue to move. So thank you. Thank you. We look forward to you joining us next time on Startup Pivot Scale. We'd also love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For episode transcriptions, past episodes, or to learn more about this podcast, connect with us at startuppivotscale.com or at startuppivotscale on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Founders Forge, a 501c3 nonprofit that is dedicated to the underdog entrepreneurs of the Appalachian Highlands and helping them on their startup journeys. We do this by holding high impact events, building a vibrant startup community, and through one-on-one coaching for startups. Learn more at foundersforge.com.